0: Support for this podcast comes from Codex Digital. The Codex workflow is an end-to-end, camera-to-post system that makes production easier and more efficient than ever before. Find out more at codexdigital.com. Hi, and welcome to this week's VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour, one hundred and thirty four. We're going head to head, robot upon robot uh real steel, with uh two good friends. Ian Fales is joining me here in the studio. How are you, Ian? Good Mike. How are you doing? And uh and uh the he's <laughs> coming in the in the red shorts in the opposite corner is Jason Diamond. How are you, sir?
1: Good. I prefer blue shorts.
0: Blue shorts, I'm sorry. I should have checked your short colour before you started recording. So look i'm yes. um, This is uh, Real Steel. It's obviously um, a big uh, film, late kind of blockbuster for the season, I guess. Uh, But a film that is, um, I think, going to go really well. It seems to have done well on its opening weekend. Uh, Ian, do you know how it sort of performed straight out
2: of the game? Uh, I think around the world it did more than $40 So not sure what the U.S. domestic office was, but $40 It was number
1: one for the long weekend, I know that.
2: Yeah. And it seems to me like, well, how big a long weekend is the Columbus Day
0: weekend? Three days. But a bit no, three <laughs> no no it's three days. But I mean <laughs> is it like a day di- like you know, um Thanksgiving is a huge public holiday, everybody stops working. Is it like that in America?
1: Uh no. Uh like my Memorial kid had day? off school, but I I had to work, you know.
0: Okay. So it's not a as big a three day holiday as so
1: you know some no, it's not a, Labor Day or anything. Or fourth of Memorial July or whatever. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, so so uh, this film has been compared a lot to films like Rocky and um, even Karate Kid and stuff and we're going to discuss the film in a second but I think for our purposes here at the VFX show some much more interesting films to compare it to are things like uh, iRobot and uh, and even um, uh, Benjamin Button not because of course they're stylistically um, or even narratively the same stories as, as the comparison to Rocky is, but because of course it's tremendous CG and live action integration but let's Start with a uh, discussion about the film, and Ian, are you a, are you a boxing fan? Are you are you like dun dun
2: dun 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 as a kid running <laughs> up the stairs? Well, well, for this film, I was for this film. I really enjoyed it. I really uh, dug that it wasn't really just about the robots, that it was about the father son, and uh, you know, uh, so that that's the bit I liked about it. But of course, the robots were amazing as well. Um, you know, there were lots of things I really liked about it. There was a couple of things I didn't. One thing I, I thought was really clever was it's set in 2020, but for a long time you're only given little hints that it's in the future. Um, and sort of by the middle you've sort of shown more buildings and areas of New York and, and uh, transports that sort of reflect 2020. And, of course, the robots. Yeah. So I kind of like that. That was quite subtle. Yeah, I think Levy
0: said that he liked that sort of span of about 10 years because, you know, 10 years ago, our mobile phones looked different, but a diner still looked like a diner. And so uh, it kept it fairly, um, you know, grounded. Uh, Jason, what do you think?
1: Uh, I liked it. I didn't love it. I just, I really hate dumb characters. And I don't mean dumb like intelligence dumb. I just mean like they put the characters in situations that the audience knows the answer to about an hour before the characters do.
0: Now you talking and about the robot just, here or Hugh Jackman's character?
1: No, Hugh Jackman, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, uh, I did like the kid. I mean, you know, the, the old, the old one last try plot line, like he was a boxer and he's not going to box again until the very end when it's, you know, there's no other choice. It's like, it's a little tired for me, but the only other thing that really bothered, I liked the movie and it was enjoyable. Like, I wish I had brought my kid, because he really would have loved the robots. Uh, and the, All the, the work was phenomenal. And the acting was good. I mean, everyone was good. It just was the plot, and the, the script more wasn't the acting. But I have a thing that it's got to be a Spielberg thing, because it's Spielberg and Zemeckis both uh, executive produced this movie. And the same thing, Spielberg has this it, this literal translation thing that It has to be him because it's the same thing at the end of Super 8 with the really literal like the kids literally has to let go of his mother because of the necklace was like one made me want to throw up. And then so at the end of this one, when when the kid says, all I wanted you to do was fight for me. And at the end, Hugh Jackman is literally fighting for him. I I wanted to jump out of my seat. Other than that, it was great.
0: So. Okay, so I don't like everything that Hugh Jackman's done because I had some (laughs) troubles with uh, one of those Wolverine films, but um, I do like Hugh Jackman. He's obviously selling this film really hard on the international uh, talk show circuit, but he just always seems to be really genuine off screen and on as a nice guy. And so I really forgave this film an enormous amount of clichés For for two reasons. One, because I thought it was aimed at a younger demographic than me. And secondly, because they were kind of so fresh and happy and honest and upbeat and enthusiastic in making this film, I just gave them a pass. It was almost as if I said to myself, hey, why shouldn't the kids today enjoy a Rocky film like I enjoyed a Rocky film? But they can't remake Rocky, or if they did, I'd be mortified. uh, So cause you got to you got to remember that Rocky, you know, 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 and 12, whatever they got up to, obviously did, you know, ring it to death. But Rocky 1 back in That's the day. Phenomenal. was phenomenal, phenomenal yeah. Really? And uh, as a kid, I swear I just was inspired by that film. Now I'm not really a fighter. I'm not really a fighter at all. But um You know, it was like an inspiring, uplifting kind of film and uh, it was the underdog story and stuff. And so, yes, it is absolutely true that I said to myself almost out loud in the cinema, I know how this is going to end. It's going to be that that guy wins, but this guy's declared the the sort of, you know, people's champion type of thing. But it was just so you could see it coming from a mile off. And yet it I was still, more
1: like Rocky Five with the Rocky, think I saw Rocky One ending. Five. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, it's it was more and I think of the guy, the guy, the was. Rocky Eight with
0: a bit of Rocky Twelve, a bit of Rocky Thirteen, <laughs> yes, well, and you yeah, know. Rocky Two. No, but look, here's the thing. I I just felt like uh, I'd give it a pass because. Kids today should be able to go and see a film like this and think it was cool. And look, it didn't have a lot of nudity and drugs and it wasn't gritty and
2: trying Mike, to be... Mike, did you actually think it was surprisingly violent? No. For a kids' film? You didn't? There were robots, I thought. Well, right. I think by the end you kind of see them as robots, but definitely in that bull sequence at the beginning, I was really surprised how well, brutal the, that was. Well, you made the was. comment to
0: me about the whole AI reference, which I wouldn't have really got had you not said it to me right before I walked into Mm. the bloody cinema. But, um, yeah, there were some issues. Like, it, it got close to... If it had gone to, you know, the robot dying for the kid and the kid sobbing over the robot who gave its life for the kids and stuff, but it didn't. See, it pulled up short. It didn't actually ever have the robot actually autonomously emote. It just implied... That they were so anthropomorphizing it that it had a soul. But even when it's looking in the mirror, that was a pathos shot that you were giving it the pathos. It wasn't actually, you know, it wasn't like yeah, it was I, mechanically I crying. That. So, I, yeah, if they'd gone one more step, I'd have called it. But for me, I, I thought it was a good film. And I thought it was I thought a good film. The Kid film was really good. Yeah. I thought totally. the Kid yeah. was
1: really good. He sold it really well.
0: But, but when you say it's a boxing film and then you say words like Spielberg, Kid, uh, underdog, <laughs> you know exactly what you 're getting yourself in for right yeah, I know so at least it didn 't deliver on what it promised it didn 't get marketed as you know a gritty urban kind of and if you know if he'd been um bummed out of boxing because he was a drunk or a drug addict or he hit some woman or something and it was kind of nasty i i't I know i just think well, no, i wasn't
1: you... looking for i wasn 't looking for grit i just I was just looking for a little more a little more intelligence in the script, and I think it could have used it and still been the same kind of like kids' awesome kids movie. Okay, it's you know, true. Like it would have ish, been accelerated
0: whatever. to. It would have been notched up if it had that. But as it stands, it's a good film. You know, I liked it. It was fun. Robots
1: saved it because I I love two things: robots and monkeys. So, okay,
0: so, <laughs> so, so so I okay. So let's just say tons been spoken about the um, and you know it is it's easy to get really clever with stuff uh, references to the films and shots and comparisons but quite frankly it doesn't interest me what interests me a lot was the meticulous way in which the CG was integrated with the live action and as this is the VFX show I've been really looking forward to talking about this because I think that this is one of the real crafts that we can take for granted and now, look, we've seen a lot of robots integrated a lot of live action, especially uh, over this summer. And, and even uh, last uh, summer blocked us the season when we had the uh, Transformers and uh, the Terminators. But, but taking nothing away from how awesome uh, the work was uh, that ILM did for Transformers, I think we can just look at this film as a really good case of integrate a CG character into a live action film and make it done believably. And we have this terrific uh, model, if you like, because the same or part of the same team, uh, certainly um, D.D. was a major contributor to iRobot, which was done, what, seven years ago? Is that right, Ian? About mm, 2004, I'm going to
2: yeah. guess. Yeah, I mean, and, and even to add to that, Mike, they also worked on the Transformers films, so they've had some great experience with robots as well. Yeah. yeah, so
0: in no way comparing the two films, because I don't think that's really a healthy thing, but I just think you can look at how well D.D. can do this. And, of course, the other film you have to mention, I think, in that, Beth, is, um, is Benjamin Button, because... Even though it was very different, um, non sort of rigid body stuff integration, it, that the skills of the uh, technical pipeline that they enhance for that is clearly resonating uh, in this film. Do you want to know how what the budget was on this film? Like, how big a film was this in terms of? Do you want to know? Did they published a budget? Um, it, I don't tell know you that I've I'm seen thinking. how big it is. Uh, I, I mean, it, you know, it feels like a. Healthy budget, but it doesn't
1: feel like it's. I, I'll, I'll guess. I'll guess over a hundred. What do you think?
2: Yeah. yeah, but but maybe maybe only just. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like. Uh,
1: I can't. Uh, the site I normally go to to show it isn't showing it, so they must not have released it. But worldwide, it's made fifty mil. Right. Since it's opening, so.
2: It actually says eighty million on IMDb. As, as the, the budget. budget, eighty million. See, so so
0: that's
1: it's... that oh, would be
0: yeah. So that would put it as a big film but not a mega tentpole blockbuster which i guess is in line with sean levy's sort of night at the museum kind of franchise which were you know big films but not exactly you'd pin the studio's hopes on survival on them yeah. um so jason did you like the night at the museum and that other stuff that uh, that sean levy's done
1: uh yeah those are fun movies uh, you know good integration of uh of you know cg and live action and 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 miniatures and compositing I mean, the night at the museums films are like just just the whole thing is compositing because it's all these little little more a lot of the little guys and other things moving around you know uh ben stiller
0: yeah i think the visual effects in this film were better than those films
1: well yeah but it's meant to be the it's night meant of meant museum be stuff is <laughs> well the night at the museum stuff has a bit of camp to it you know yeah, okay. where the, they're sort of playing it playing it for a joke.
0: Yeah. Okay, so what shots did you, um, Ian, what, what did you sort of like technically like what shots sort of stood out for you as being really good shots?
2: Uh, well, even though I thought the bull scene was quite brutal, I really did like that. It was such a good introduction to the robots because, and this basically played out for the whole film, I was constantly unsure whether they'd used a real robot in some scenes I mean obviously they use CG ones for the more dynamic fighting but at the fairground or the showground it was sort of hard to tell at least initially and you know later on there's another sequence when he's in the trailer and he's sort of walking out and you just you just don't know you know whether that's a DD shot or something by by legacy so so I like the shots where I couldn't really tell and I'd have to say throughout the whole movie I never thought that any of these robots looked too CG or or some kind of other effect so you know they're the kind of shots that were impressive to me what about you jason
1: i'll have to agree i was i was also constantly looking for like a transition or something that would that would take the robots from what again impossible really impossible to tell when they went for real robot versus cg and i was really looking for like a lot of the physics problems that you know larger Larger CG objects tend to have, uh, even on really high-quality work. Sometimes there's just no way around it, and you'll see, like, a little herk or a jerk or something. But I didn't really see any in this. I was really looking. And the robots, I mean, obviously they did a lot of motion capture for it, which helps because it's, it's supposed to move like a human. But I, the work was superb. I mean, I was really just squinting and constantly just trying to find something wrong, and I just couldn't.
0: Well, I think there's sort of three categories of visual effects we should discuss here. There's the end boxing, and it wasn't just in the end, but I'm going to call it the end boxing, where we're talking about a ring-based boxing sequence. Now, obviously, there were some of those earlier, but let's just call that the end stuff so that we can keep ourselves sane. Then there's more general uh, robot stuff. A classic would be the one you've just mentioned in coming out of the back of the truck, but also there's the learning how to dance and, uh, yeah. and uh, sparring stuff. We'll call that another category. And then the third sort of stuff is let's, let's start with that, and that would be everything else, which is things <laughs> like the bull, which obviously, or maybe not obviously, was CG at various points, because if it wasn't CG, it would have been shut down for the RSPCA, and rightly so.
2: Uh, yeah, well, you know, the actual bullfight was was a mix of real and, and digital. Um, I mean, mostly digital domain enhanced it so that any scenes where the robot and the bull are interacting were completely CG. Um, but, you know, they had one there for interaction and they also had a lot of legacy uh, uh, part robot parts and and you know, the actual robot for both for shooting but also so the actors could have something to act against. You know, it's the classic thing that we talk about all the time of visual effects. We don't just want the actors looking at a tennis ball. Um, we want them to sort of look, see and touch and, you know, you can kind of see that it works. Am I
0: not right in thinking that um, that the bull they had had like a missing horn or something? that I hear that? And that, that even on the bull shots they had to sort of, like, augment the real-life bull. Did you hear that?
2: Yeah, I think that's right, isn't it? Yeah.
0: So, okay, so the, the bull, I think, was pretty seamless. Like, I was looking at it and thinking, you know, I guess I was more focused on the dust coming up and the footprints and the interaction of the robot because it was one of the earliest sequences of the robots and I was really studying the robot. But I couldn't help but as the bull was being kind of forced back, especially in the opening bit um, before the leg gets knocked off. What robot was that that was... Um, the name of that robot was... Is that Ambush? Oh. Ambush, ambush. Yeah. 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 So before Ambush was ambushed, um, and it didn't have a leg missing. Um, yeah, it was uh, that the bull was, you know, not winning the confrontations. And uh, and I think, you know, I never picked the difference between the two. I just thought it was like really, really good. Um, there was must have been a bunch of other stuff, obviously, um, like exterior enhancements and stadiums and stuff that went on. But I think most of that now we will we'll classify under, you know, Good work that we, unfortunately, have come to expect uh, from somewhere like DD. So let's move to that next category, which is the stuff out of the ring where you've just got um, a robot. And I think it's worth kind of walking through uh, some of the stuff that was going on there because it is um, a really interesting technical exercise. And we had the benefit of uh, of talking to DD around the time of iRobot. So we actually have over at FXGuy quite a good comparison between the iRobot of 2004, which Eric Nash also worked on, by the way, um, and I think also Wedder was on iRobot. Ian, that right? that's right. Yeah, Wedder Digital. Eric Nash leading the visual supervisor on on Real Steel uh, and the differences between the two. But um, I'll, I'll come to the the cinematography and the camera stuff later. I just wanted to talk about the um, the live action integration. And so for me, what I go to is that scene where the kids first teaching the robot to dance and then a similar scene when um he's in mimic mode with um Hugh Jackman and for some unknown reason we have to um get the robot fit by uh, having him um, shadow (laughs) box and uh and exercise um so what did you guys think of that that you know it's like I think it was at a motel that they had those it was one was like a morning shot one was a middle of the day Jason
1: yeah, they were they were really nice. Again, I was I was finding myself looking at obviously once the robot started moving a lot uh, in the shadow mode, it w- was obviously CG, but only it wasn't obvious because of the work. It was obviously CG just for for practical purposes of of how they would execute the shots. Um, they were integrated beautifully. I mean, the light matched the and the guy the the atom that robot had a lot of different. Textures on it it wasn't like the when he bought um what was the um the naughty boy or was that the other no, noisy, robot? Boy. noisy boy noisy boy uh yeah. yeah when he bought that one I mean that one you know it's very uniform has a very specific look um, and so i'd imagine it was not easier but less tedious than working on Adam who's got like you know he's like a, a junk sparring robot so he's got tons of damage tons of deformations and things like that and it looked beautiful
0: yeah i mean i i was heavily in irobot territory when they were finding adam at that junkyard because it just Mm -hmm. felt like the sort of similar kind of you know the container wasteland in uh, in irobot but if we get back to the the integration with the live action that was in full sun unlike the sort of night stuff uh in other places and there was really nowhere to hide so so let's just step through the process. We know from talking to the guys at DD that... And by the way, this, a lot of this is on FX Guide, and there's a podcast there where I was talking to Eric Nash where you can listen to him explain this himself. But you, you want to basically integrate a live-action robot into a scene. So you need to know where the actors need to look and how you're going to frame that up. And So in this area, in this area where we're talking about just like one actor, one robot kind of thing, they're going to have a proxy stand-in for the robot and... This is exactly the same as they did seven years ago. That hasn't changed. Um, they're going to have the actors act out with a proxy. Again, same deal. Uh, now, in iRobot, they would actually then do a lot more clean plate work and actors acting to an empty space with the eye line having been established by the proxy. But apparently, DD rarely used those plates. And so as a consequence, when they came around to doing this one in real steel, they were like... Uh, yeah, let's just admit that we're going to have to use the better performance when the actors are interacting with a proxy stand-in guy, like uh, someone on painter's stilts. And as a consequence, we're just going to have to paint the guy out, so let's just buy that and do it. Um, and then you, in iRobot days, they were doing like the 18% grey ball and the chrome ball. Now, you would often do a chrome ball and an 18% grey ball in shots so that you could later make a CG 18% grey ball and put the CG 18% gray ball digitally on top of, or so right beside the real live action 18% gray ball that you shot, and then you would say, okay, do they look the same? Because if they look the same, then I got my lighting right. The shadows are the same. The the hue of the gray is similar. The the contrast ratios are similar. I will nail down a lot of reasons why these two are the same. And then to get the chrome ball pass, to put a chrome ball beside a chrome ball, you would do an uh, an HDR pass. And on iRobot, that was a fully automated. Uh, like you'd put a little kind of head that would spin around and take um stills. Moving forward to today, they dropped the chrome ball, dropped the grey ball, and they did manual HDR passes because they they just discovered you could be faster with a modern digital camera just manually um tiling them up. So in a sense, in fact, uh, the real steel workflow, very similar, but actually simpler than what happened on iRobot, but simpler in a kind of a more manual uh, in fact, they wouldn't even do full clean passes. they just get enough to patch the background, and that may or may not mean um, doing a whole pass. But I have to say, like, uh, once you took that lighting information and combined it into the shots, and, of course, with really good roto artists removing the actors that are theoretically underneath the position where the robot is, I thought they just worked really, really well. And I thought at no point did the eyelines look wrong, no point did uh, the lighting look bad. I just thought it looked, looked
2: cracker. Um, There's one scene, Mike, that we casually uh, briefly mentioned, which is the uh, ambush coming out from the back of the truck, where they, uh, I, I, you know, when you were talking to Eric, you talked about how they had two HDRs for that, and they sort of matched the legacy sort of shoulder pads that had been built. That was a pretty cool sequence too, don't you think? Well, yeah, because I think what's interesting there is that. So that
0: we were, I was just talking about iRobot comparisons, but in the middle was Benjamin Button, and as we know from Benjamin Button, they took the HDR stuff to the next level because they started doing multiple HDR. So a character would move from a room through a door to another room and there'd be two completely different lighting setups. And so they would do multiple stills based HDRs that would give them a light probe in multiple locations and then you'd transition between them. So they use that, for example, um, in, you know, when, um, uh, when Adam is arriving at the stadium and you've got him, Jason, like on the runway kind of thing and he's, you know, the kids in, mm-hmm. and or were the kids, I think it was one of the sequences where he walks out dancing and yeah. the robot follows dancing. Yeah, okay. So he's moving through multiple different lighting setups there. So they did multiple different HDRs to move the CG character through different lighting frames of reference, as it were, as he moved down the uh, the runway. But the one that, um, which I thought you're absolutely right, Ian, it was delightful, was that one in the back of the truck. Mm. So, Jason, I know how he, they did that, but do you want to just, I don't think you do so because i haven't published this yet so i'm to take it as an estimated guess how they did the uh the guy coming out from or well, i think it was a uh, ambush from the back of the truck to the front to by the way speak to the director's kids who were playing the part of the interested uh fairground kids
1: uh you mean in terms of transitioning the hdrs
0: no no not that i mean like how would you have shot that uh if you were you know task with doing that like what would you work with just as would used
1: I would have used the practical robot as much as possible
0: so so or
1: like <laughs> over the shoulders and things like that, and then when the robot has to move you know uh, a significant amount i would I would go to the cg okay so i I was like you
0: a, a, a sensible kind of approach, and so the guys at DD had a stunt performer who put on um, uh, painters stilt, and but also put on shoulder pads and legacy-made arm extensions for this dude, and so he's in the back of the truck. and, and Ian was quite right; they had two HDRs. One at the at the lift um, area where the thing gets lifted up, and uh, what do you call that? Like the, the tailgate, I guess. Yeah. The lift yeah. gate. And there was one at the back of the truck where it was obviously darker. But this is where it gets really interesting. So the guy gets up in the back with these arm pads on and stuff, and walks through the clutter that gets him to the back of the truck where the kids are. Now, as you can imagine, and it was designed this way, he's big, contains space, and he bumps into pots and pans. And I seem to remember there being literally like
1: pans. Yeah, there's wires yeah, and cables and stuff. Okay, mm. so this
0: all, this all works perfectly well. And the idea is they get, okay, now we're going to get the animation of that guy walking down, and our animators can, like, find the spots on him. We can get the motion of those joints, and Then we'll, you know, maybe do a bit of rig removal to get him out of there. And then we'll stick a robot in, and he'll not only move through the space correctly, but he'll bump into all these things correctly. And then they had the two HDRs. Well, the first thing they did, which was, was planned, which was clever, is that they not only did an HDR at the front and the back, but they then mapped all of that onto basically dummy surveyed geometry. So if you think about an HDR for a second and the way you've normally seen it, even in a, in a press release photo, it's just a sphere, right? Like you map all the stuff that you take from a Chrome ball or from a 180-degree fisheye lens onto a Chrome ball, and then the Chrome ball sort of sits around the outside of your CG and you render it and it... It's literally like a bubble and the CG's in the middle of the bubble and that just reads the light from whatever direction in every direction that it could. The thing is, if you then, and this was very different, and this is something that's like really at the cutting edge right now of HDR work and this kind of environment mapping work, they then took that and remapped it onto this proxy geometry. So as he moves through the back to the front, he's not only getting the HDR from the back to the front, but he's getting an accurate spatial relationship between the the robot and the light sources that are lighting it. So as he moves from a pool of light of a window, for example, as he moves through it, that's rising and falling because the window has a, like a closer or further away distance to the robot mathematically than would happen if you just mapped it inside a bubble. Um, so that was good. And that's really cutting edge stuff. And I think it was, I think Eric in that uh, podcast, says it's the first time he's ever done a show that's done that. What they hadn't anticipated, though, was the guy that's walking down on the stilts is getting beaten in the, he- beaten in the head by these pots and pans, right? And it's like if you had a, even just like a normal frying pan swing around and hit you on the side of the head, even if you're a stuntman, you're going to react to it, right? But if you're a robot, you don't give a rats. And so, unfortunately, all this jostling that was happening from these hanging props was causing the actor playing the robot to kind of react and bounce around a bit like a guy on stilts would do so he didn't fall over. And so when DD looked at that and then tried putting a CG character in, A, the CG character looked like it was a guy on stilts, but B, all the pots and pans were like forcing this theoretically huge, thwacking great giant right, of an ambush robot. Exactly. So they had to replace the animation and put in a more direct front, back to front. And of course, then all the pots and pans moved incorrectly. <laughs> This is where it gets really funny. So then they have to go through and digitally remove all the wires and the hanging pots and pans because they're now swinging incorrectly because they just changed the motion of the guy coming from the back to the front. And so then they have to go back and add digital versions of all the crap in the, in the back of the truck. So you end up with a shot where you've got a truck full of stuff, full of, with an actor, and you have to throw away the actor, throw away the stuff and end up with maybe the lighting map from the truck and then just redo the whole lot. And to quote... To quote Eric Nash, and you should listen to him discuss it because it's quite funny. He says the shot was just a bear to do, and I, I just think it's really... I mean, you know, because I... Like, who wouldn't have thought that that was a really sensible way to go down the pipe? Right. But
1: uh, when you said... Because I remember looking at when the robot walked out of the, out of the truck, I remember looking at it bumping into stuff and being like, oh, clearly that's CG stuff. But then when you were describing it, when you were going through the whole process, and you said they did it naturally... I was like, oh, well, maybe it was. But then by the end of your story, I was like, okay, it was CG.
0: Yeah, mm. and I mean, you got to feel sorry for the Roto team, right? <laughs> You're <feel> like, <laughs> yeah. uh, like, we need you to get rid of this guy and see all this stuff that's in the truck.
2: Yeah, I kind of need to get rid of that too. But the best thing about that shot, I, I think, is is the design in the end because there's, this robot gets up and he's too big to fit through that gap. And I'm thinking, oh, they're going to cut. They're going to cut from the, you know, the practical robot to CG, but they don't. And, you know, the shot's just done all in one go and you, there's no ever hint, I feel, that it's either CG or practical. And, I mean, I think that's the success of the shot.
0: Oh, I think the shot's hugely successful. And mm. you know the
2: other thing I thought about it was? I thought,
0: are they going to be... at that state in the film. I think, are they going to be one of these films that cheats the size of the robot up and down a lot whenever it's convenient? And I don't think they mm. did. I felt no. to me like he was kind of hunched over in that van but the same height to Jackman as he was in the ring at the cow sequence, as he was at the end in the boxing sequence. Did you, Jason, feel like there was any consistency? Because I thought they were rather good at not cheating it.
1: I, I don't think they cheated it very much. But what I think was smart that they also did was all the robots were slightly different sized. So there was no consistency amongst the robots because they were home, especially in the, in the non-league matches, they're all homebrews. So... So one guy's really big, one guy's smaller. Like, I, I, I think that also helped to not allow you to establish a uh, mean robot height. You know what I mean? Right. You, didn't, you couldn't really put your finger on, well, that doesn't look like the other guy because they're all different. So I think, I think that probably helped them.
0: So what do you guys think of the character design of the robots, Ian? I, I'll get you both to comment on this, but what did you actually I mean, we saw, what, half a dozen sort of featured robots if you count the one at the zoo and the the ones that kind of got destroyed at the um, uh, off fair thing so what, what do you sort of think of them in terms of robot designs
2: I like them I mean some of them sort of evoked robots that I probably had when I was a kid especially Noisy Boy um, you know that felt like a, a Japanese robot that I'm sure that I owned once <laughs> so <laughs>
1: So I enjoyed it. Looks like a caiman rider. By
2: bit. by owned. I think you mean a, a model of. No,
1: sorry. Yeah, go on. maybe
2: not that big. Um,
0: so if you've yeah. seen if you've seen Ian's office here, you actually would be thinking that it was life size. Um, <laughs> yeah, go on. Sorry, I interrupted you.
2: Uh, but yeah, just generally, I mean, I thought that that was a good good point too. That they didn't look the same, and um, so you never felt there was sort of this generic boxing competition being run. They didn't seem to be absurd. I guess they were at the edge of absurdity with the two-headed
0: guy. Um, for me, but but, but that was meant to like be like the highest tech and the it latest could be a one, gimmick wasn't and, it? yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Jason?
1: Um, I think actually my least favorite robot was Midas, the end robot. It was a little too like it seemed for that one to be like Uber super cool, wasn't that super Zeus? tech. The end one? Or Zeus, sorry, Zeus. Yeah. Um, that it was, um, his hands like being big sledgehammers and like pneumatic and stuff. It seemed really inefficient for the way that the other robots were working. But I mean, that's, I'm just being like insanely practical about robots. (laughs) I'll tell you what else it
2: reminded me of. And and that was, I don't know if you've ever seen the last two episodes of the 1960s Astro Boy, not the new (laughs) Astro Boy, where Astro fights the greatest robots in the world. You know, I and he goes around. That, no. You haven't seen that one, no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I consider my manhood cheap. Though, haven't <laughs> um, and no, that, that was a good thing because I actually felt like they were almost um, playing off that a little bit because it was just definitely a Japanese side to some of these robots, and yeah, um, which was good. I think, um, yeah, um, yeah, kind of yeah,
1: definitely. Thing. Um, yeah, I mean, so, I was going to say when Noisy Boy came out, I, I was like, all right, that's a cool robot. Yeah,
0: I mean, look, let's face it, you know. <laughs> I mean, there were, there were robots fighting that was inherently cool. <laughs> hey, um, Jason, I really, as you know, respect your work as a director, but also a cinematographer and, and your eye. And so I'd really like to get your opinion actually on the, the lensing of the whole film. Like what did you thought of the, the way that it was shot? And uh, obviously that feeds into the visual effects. But, I mean, how do you feel it was sort of filmed?
1: I, uh, I did not know until afterwards that they shot F-35, which was surprising, not because I don't like F thirty five, but but it looked really nice, and F thirty five is a really nice camera. Um, but it just, uh, I actually while I was watching it, I didn't. I was looking at the robots and thinking about the the visual effects so much that so I didn't pay too much attention to the quality of the film in terms of like was it film was it digital. It just sort of like washed over me really nicely. Um, I thought the grade was really nice Uh, nothing really bothered me. Um, but I, I think you were, you said that they had, um, some pretty crazy tech, uh, especially in the end fight. Yeah. Yeah. To wrap in the, the live action and the CG comps.
0: Yeah. But yeah. And, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to discussing that. I will say though that, I totally agree with you about the f thirty five I thought it looked really really pretty this film um and I know it was shot on cooks and on Genot lenses, but i've gotta say like uh just that like there was stuff that was i mean forget about the predictability of the you know the female interest being the you know daughter of the boxing guy mentor blah blah when she was on the set of the uh in her um you know gym. She yep. was lit really well. The shots were nice. Um, mm-hmm. Shots of the kid were really uh, nice. There was nothing in the night sequences, obviously quite a few night sequences, away from the the bright lights of the ring um, that had any noise issues to me. It was Not very consistent. I thought it was just a really well-shot film. Uh, and uh, I've got to say, I was kind of surprised also that it was F-35. I thought it would have been something beyond thirty five. F-35. Not that the F-35 is a bad camera, but we are talking about a nineteen twenty by ten eighty uh, frame, and then you're cropping yeah. into that to get the two three five. So you're not actually shooting, you know, theoretically everything because yeah, you're it's like one and a half k. Yeah, you're not getting the full line height. Um, so I will get to that tech that you 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 asked about. But let me let's set it up first by understanding what's going on with the cameras. So the F thirty five's Jason not a particularly small camera, but no. it's <laughs> um, it's definitely a very professional camera and of course has a sensor much the size of 35mm film as opposed to the F, uh, the other uh, 23 which is a two thirds inch um, there, there were four of these I by the way really appreciated um, seeing this uh, as a mono film is anybody else with me on that like they just, oh yeah.
2: yeah thank goodness <laughs> just felt fine
0: <laughs> um, okay so there were about four F35s being used and fair enough too because I don't know how much the F35s cost but they're quite expensive but anyway, you've got four of these um, maybe simultaneously being shot. And they, they had the Codex um, uh, boxes, which... Now, Codex has like two boxes. They have like a, a box that sits in a truck kind of box. But there's also like an onboard recorder. And the onboard recorders, we've shot with the Codex, like when we're shooting on the ARI, because we're shooting stereo. And so you could get two ARI Alexas feeding the one um, onboard camera Codex recorder. But the reason that this was all codex and tapeless is uh, is why I was kind of saying we need to set this up for what happened next because uh, the codex boxes can record RAW if there was RAW coming out of a camera like there is an Alexa. In fact, on the Sonys, they're recording S-Log. So you're getting a file that's... Uh, I mean, have you shot much S-Log Sony stuff? I mean, I think it's a really good format. It's kind of not as filmic as uh, a... Cineon file, and it's kind of a little bit Sony-esque, but I think it's a really good basis for grading. What do you think, Justin?
1: Yeah, I mean the, the s-log has a lot of information, and and you said it was four by four, also, which you know, uh, unless you're going to get unless you're going to get raw, that's pretty much the best you can get. Yeah, it's 10
0: uh, bit s-log, RGB. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, and it's all in there, it's, except for the nine it twenty by ten eighty, and that's well, shame, yeah, but that's. that's about uh, <laughs> And it comes back down to what it normally comes down to is exposure. If you expose it right, it's all going to be in there.
0: Yeah, well said. So, okay. So now imagine you're doing the ring stuff because this is where it really comes into its own. I think this is kind of brilliant. Um, So you've got a ring that you want to put the robots into. So firstly, they did uh, motion capture proper, normal, kind of away from this stadium, of the boxing sequence they literally worked out the boxing sequences famously with with sugar ray leonard as one of the boxing coaches so that's like just getting the animation down of what you wanted the the robots to do and then you have to film the plates that the comp is going to go into now normally when i've been doing that we shoot them a bit wide and a bit loose because you're not quite sure how you're going to end up with the framing and um have you seen any of the behind the scenes stuff on this
2: yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. So you you get to see the, the sort of composite in both the DP's uh, monitor and, you know, onset monitors. And um, it's fascinating, actually.
0: Because I think this is where it goes to just super brilliant, but also it's kind of indicative of this idea of post-onset. So the camera, the F35 now, so forget the motion capture, because that's got you the performance, but no lensing of that performance. So you now get the, the actual camera operator, um, to walk around filming what is effectively an empty set, which is an empty stage, I should say, like the the ring. They've got extras outside it and stuff. And importantly, it's got Hugh Jackman and the other characters that are outside the ring that you want to have, you know, over the shoulder of the robot, etc. And then in the viewfinder of the guy that's got the F-35, he is seeing the actual shot with the actual robots boxing in real time. And as he pans his camera to the right, so too does the entire world and the CG correctly panned to the, to the left and, and vice versa. And the reason for that is because the camera gets the F35 feet, it goes to the codex boxes, which are all digital. Now, they are recording the master plate, so that is the photography you're going to see as the audience sitting in the film, empty. But it then immediately peels off and gets this pre-calculated fight sequence, but not lensed, comped in and it knows where to comp it in because the entire boxing ring is a giant motion capture stage but it's only motion capturing where the actual F-35 camera is. So the guy's got the F-35 on a steady Steadicam rig. Let's say he runs across the ring. So the, the motion the, I think it was Giant Studios Ian? Yeah they did the mo yeah, so Giants, who did Avatar and very cool about this, know exactly where he is in the ring and which direction the lens is pointing and hide off the deck and everything. And it feeds all of that in. And only then does it render the the motion captured to uh, robots fighting. But of course, from exactly the right camera angle to match what the DOP is filming with the F-35 in real time, they comp that together and then send it back to the camera. So the viewfinder of the DOP or the video screen of the Steadicam operator has the full comp on it and if you think about that that's really awesome because if you want to frame up a shot of Adam taking punches but over because it's a plot point right like over his shoulder he is getting direction from Hugh Jackman you want to frame Hugh Jackman Adam and the guy thumping the crap out of Adam all in shot in real time instantly so that if you decide to a the shot to move left or right you get the instincts of the DOP doing that or rather the camera operator as you do it and i just think that is awesome i just think it's like such a cool system um but of course jason you'd you'd need to have a fairly low lag on that wouldn't you because i mean if there was much delay in that loop around coming back if you move the camera on set and it took a moment or two before the um viewfinder reflected that it would be an operating nightmare
1: oh yeah because you'd never sync up your remote you'd have to slide the whole animation which would just kill the timing of everything um, and, and, you know, especially for shots like when Hugh Jackman finally acquiesces to, to shadow box, you know, when he put Adam yeah. into shadow mode because his, his voice recognition system is damaged. They you have to have that system because the operator standing on the mat shooting past Adam at Hugh Jackman standing offering shadow boxing. So you see the robot doing exactly what he's doing at the exact same time and like you're saying it's all captured in the plate minus the cg that's already pre-rendered for placement so if you don't nail that you're in trouble
0: yeah and what's really cool about this is if you think about it, going to the next step so you've got that on camera so that's like you know the director can literally say hey let's do that take again only this time can you get a little lower so i can see that punch everybody just resets and you film it again and you film the punch better but the punch is choreographed already. The director has been happy with that fight choreography. He's now just lensing it but he's lensing it with the hero plate being captured instantly and simultaneously but... Uh, Modern Video was involved in this. They were doing dailies, okay? So now they've got the, the you've got the untreated, effectively, without the LUTs on it of the codex. And so now from there, because you've got the codex's um, virtual file system, they're spitting out the DNX HD 36 dailies. So the dailies that are going to the editor are pre-comps, right? So they're pre-comps, obviously you've got the clean paper, they're also pre-comps with the robot. So... Like the second that the shot's over, if the editor's getting a shot, he can just start editing that stuff together and he knows it's the fight sequence and he knows what he's looking at because he's not just got a bunch of empty plates. And they even got this down to focus. Like they were actually able to focus like correctly because they'd focus with a little indicator to the, um, the cameraman where the focus point was. So he would know on his, virtu- on his real camera with a virtual display where focus was at. So they could pull focus oh. in camera.
1: I were they pulling awesome. eye data? Yeah, yeah. Well I no no th- same- I think they were eyes, so right? Yeah, the Only S4s the are
0: absolutely um eye data. I know uh, okay. that they were holding a lot of the I hope they were, because they were holding a lot of the metadata right through to post, which of course meant that DD, if they wanted to take, could just access into the codex files as if it was like scan order of coming off a film scan, but without the cost of having to of course do the film scans. But but more to the point all the animators have a pre-comp the second the shot's coming off principal photography. I mean, even before turnover, you know exactly what the sequence is going to be doing. You're not doing a lot of redundant stuff that then they say, oh, now I see the robots in there. I think we need a wider shot. Um, And then, of course, they backed up to LTOs. So you have modern video doing stuff. You've got uh, stuff for DD. um, And you've got uh, multiple LTOs going off in different directions. So I think they've even got one that went off to... Well, because marketing, for example, could lift frames out um, and access stuff and know what was going to be coming, because they had all these robots sort of pre-comp themselves, so they could sort stuff out and cut trailers pre the effect shots coming. Um,
1: (laughs) And in the screenshot uh, screenshots that I saw, the robots were rendered like you know pretty high high res video game you know style renders, not you know super reflective and all their textures, but I mean. A lot better than you know Tron, you know, nineteen eighty two, you know, for, uh, totally. for 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 placement.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think it was uh, remarkably healthy the quality that they were getting. Now, of course, it wouldn't reflect the lighting that was going on. So, like, you wouldn't get a lens flare that would right. accurately work with somebody cutting a light or um, that kind of stuff. But hell, I mean, you know, for a CG film, you're getting a hell of a lot. And Ian, I mean, just viscerally, I thought the fighting sequence, as a consequence, hung together pretty well.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that interests me in two ways, the sort of the the simulcam process that they came up with, because I always wonder how much work goes into building the robots initially, you know, the models, um, to make that happen, and then how much extra work is, is happening down the line at DD. But yeah, as you say, the actual boxing scenes were, were frenetic and brilliant and, and at no point I felt did they ever try and hide the CG. You know, in one of the places, is it Crash Palace, they have those sort of chain ropes yep. that are mm-hmm. around and I'm like, oh wow, how did they do that with you know, just amazing roto or did they shoot it clean and you never really know and I, I just, I loved it.
1: I saw a nice edit sheet that they did where i think it's the first it's the next uh uh, i think it's the first when they get the undercard fight or the whatever the first league fight they get Yep. Mm -hmm. and uh and the ropes sort of open like a v in the middle on a hinge yeah and they show i think it's i forget which robot it is he comes out i was like how i want to see how they make him bend through the ropes (laughs) and then they cut to, like someone's reaction and then they cut and he's in the ring. <laughs> and I was like, all right, all right, I'll give you that. I'll yeah. give you that one.
2: I'll tell you what else I liked was that it, like probably most good boxing movies, each fight felt different, you know, and even yep. the zoo is an example of that. They actually had almost completely different camera moves, very aerial, you know, uh, swings over yeah, the top of really it. Yeah, there a really nice helicopter shot yeah. in the zoo, wasn't they? But, it? but yeah. I almost thought that was very much on purpose. It was outdoors, yes, but it was also to... Distinguish it from the other indoor fights.
1: It had a very every which way but loose vibe. Yeah, that's true. Mm.
0: Actually, I thought Mm. that.
2: Um, And you know,
0: in the boxing at the end, they actually had Sugar Ray coming up with different moves for different rounds. So Mm. they actually he progressed the kind of boxing moves, um, which of course makes sense because Hugh Jackman was more actively involved in the latter part of the fight.
1: Um, Um, But not to make not to make the boxing references that you didn't want to make. But the final title fight, speaking of Rocky, felt to me exactly like the Rocky Four Drago, you know, uh, Dolph Lundgren fight. Even to the point where they do the whole, like, he gets the shit beat out of him over and over and over again to wear him down. The rounds really pass through a montage. They don't show you all the rounds. And they even did a shot, which, I mean, it has to be an Amaz shot, where where... Um Zeus is pounding Adam. Adam tries to get off the ropes and he picks him up and throws him back into the ropes and keeps punching him I mean that is directly out of Rocky four okay <laughs> but I'm just saying i it clearly has to be an homage, which is fine
0: no, no uh, i I only say know. okay because quite honestly i don 't actually ever remember seeing any film with Dolph Lundgren in it so i can't i can't uh i can't That's successfully the first Punisher come movie sorry.
1: Not the first Punisher movie. Sorry. <laughs> um, come on, I come in peace, you'll go in pieces? Come on, that's a great alien movie.
0: Yeah, I think I actually bid on working on that film, and when I didn't get it, I went. I didn't watch it in a half,
1: if I can recall correctly.
0: <laughs> it was a while ago. Um, yeah, anyway, so uh, it was good. Look, I mean, um, were there any shots that you guys didn't like? Did you thought that there was anywhere that it felt bad roto or not comped well or... You know, I mean, to be critical. And if you could say why,
2: that would be even better. I was trying to think of some before we started talking about the, the film and I, I actually can't think of any that took me out of the film or, or didn't look right. I, I guess the ones that felt a bit out of place was the junkyard um, because I wasn't entirely sure why they were there initially. Um, but generally, the, the way that the kid fell falls down well, the waterfall... I think the
0: junkyard was a production design problem, right? Like it had this ridiculous... Mm dropped to a ridiculous yeah. water thing that all felt yeah. like. Why would you build a thing right on the top of a sort of potential landslide? It, that didn't feel like a viable set from an art direction point of view, not
1: from a comp point of view.
2: And also, how the kid got the computer, uh, the robot, out of there. You know, I mean, he
1: yeah, pal- he just almost fell to his death, and now he's perched on the ledge, digging out a robot whereby if you pull that robot out, most likely that whole ledge is going to collapse. Yeah, <laughs> I did not think that was... But that and was,
0: that's plot and production yes. design, I would argue. Yes. I'm defending this And the fact lot, that
1: the robot's arm, the robot literally saved his life. You know, again, back to the Spielbergian <laughs> rules of filmmaking.
0: In fact, you could say he saved his life twice.
2: I'm actually going to bring up something Spiel- Spielbergian as well. Um... There were times in the movie that I did feel a little bit like Sam and Bumblebee from Transformers um, in terms of the boy and his robot relationship. And I think, you know, it's interesting. I remember Michael Bay actually saying that Spielberg pitched Transformers to him by saying, this is a story about a boy and his robot, a boy and his car, you know, that sort of thing. And so there were times in Real Steel where I felt that same sort of relationship you know, and I mean, you're going to get that with a robot who's sort of looking yeah. after the kid, but but that was very Spielberg.
1: It felt kid. more like a Iron Giant kind of vibe to me. Yeah.
0: Yes. I think there was a couple of shots. Look, I, I hate to do this because I think that on the whole, it was insanely good. There were a couple of shots when they were entering the stadium where I felt like the edging of the roto wasn't perfectly matching the motion blur that i was seeing because you've got quite an atmospheric environment to get the characters into so while i believed the the rendering i just felt like the edging on some of those rotos were a bit harsh and it it wasn't sort of softened into the shot quite as much as i would have liked um being super picky now (laughs) expect (laughs) expect someone's about to throw something across the room when they hear this but Um, Yeah, I mean, I think Dee did a superb job, but if I was to criticise it, it is really, really hard when you get rid of green screen, as most of this was sans green screen.
2: Having said that, Mike, the crowds in those stadium boxing scenes were amazing, weren't they, and done with a pretty unique uh, method.
0: Yeah, well, that was, I guess, one of the only points that there was um, green screen. So so what happened is we – again, we discovered this from Eric – the I don't know how many a few rows back they had about an eight foot green screen curtain that went up and then sort of circled the stage the idea being that the first few rows would be extras and you'd want to have the shoulders and heads of the extras the last row of them with a clean green screen line so you could then put digital behind them now I would have assumed and I'm probably safe to bet that you would also maybe Jason that that was a just a massive sim you would do a you know huge crowd thing with agents and they'd all sit in the cg stadiums and you just basically get a a solution that way but um i mean that's how i do it
1: seem it would seem logical especially given the dynamic lighting it was a lot of dark and light you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to be staring at it like a outdoor baseball scene or something so you'd be able to hide a lot of stuff doing it that way
0: what they actually did is got a whole lot of extras to come in and shot them individually in a bunch of different poses and they wrote the mother of all nuke scripts which would literally go through and work out where that bit of stadium was relative to where the camera was then that would work out what angle you needed on your extras and then it would reference into the database to get you know actor number eight uh from this angle and then you would have the actor clapping sighing sitting quietly jumping to his feet or waving and then depending on what the direction was for the crowd at that point it would then access whichever one of those performances from that angle from that individual actor stick that on a card and then stick that in seat you know jj4-3 and then move on to jj4-5 and 4-6 and do the same thing all Jesus. over again i know it's just astonishingly when
1: <laughs> i want to see that tree
0: yeah, that is just like somebody. Now, of course, <laughs> who else is gonna, um, you know, outgun DD on nuke scripts? Given that these right. are the guys that invented the bugger, but yeah, I mean, that was that was not done to show off. But I was when I heard about that, I was like, I'm not worthy.
1: <laughs> just, well, that's a fair that's a fair mix of practical and and technology. You know, you're, it probably will look better than than uh, running a sim.
0: And then not only that, but if they then found that there was some actor who, you know, had a hot dog and it looked really distinctive in multiple places, they could just click on those guys and then swap out those cards individually to um to get it. So that's how they they basically had this sort of giant database thing, but if you if you do the maths on that, it's absolutely astonishing because the number of actual cards times the resolution you have to capture them at. now obviously the keys will be pretty forgiving but once you start multiplying that up that that ian that is a hell of a lot of bloody video frames to be dealing
2: with to then comp in on uh, on a shot oh yeah but and you know i mean some people might say it's only off into the distance but but i kind of i i, I like the crowd in the in those scenes it, it didn't feel like your typical massive sim you know and that's probably why they were trying to get something which is a, a big mix between practical and digital
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, uh, I obviously didn't notice it at the time. I, you know, totally bought it. But I just, I don't know, it'd be insanely cool to somehow, I don't know how on earth you'd ever do this, do a comparison of a crowd done that way versus a massive crowd. Because I've got to say, I think massive is like a really good piece of software. And I don't actually, um, you know, find it to be poor. Like I don't look at a crowd and say, oh, it's obviously a, a massive, you know. Oh, uh, the only time I would do that is if I was seeing a large crowd running across an open field to attack another large crowd and they were both armies and they were both you know in middle earth and then i 'm pretty much guaranteed that i 'm saying that 's a massive shot, but only because I kind of know it to be a sensible way to go well
1: like I, like I was saying, I really think in this case they could have they could have taken that route given the lighting cues in the scenes like you 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 had license to hide tons of stuff and not that they were going to do bad work but but they were but they had the ability to sort of work around the setups and say okay well we could just do or we could do cards for two rows or three rows and then and then massive and do a mix but to do it all all um, with the card comps is pretty impressive
0: um, I looked it up while we were talking and it was uh, Dave Emmerich who was the camera operator and I don't normally go that deep as to yell out an individual but like i think his camera work in the ring given that he did have a i think about two to three frames latency uh between him moving and then seeing that reflected in his viewfinder that dave deserves whatever the equivalent is of a camera operator oscar because obviously the cinematography yeah. goes to the the dop um who was the dop of avatar is that right, right.
1: Mm, uh Moral Fury, is that his name
0: but anyway um so, I take nothing away from the DP cuz as I said I think it was beautifully lit and shot. But just in terms of technical excellence, having um obviously such a good Steadicam and camera operator totally gave this film the energy that it needed and so uh Dave, we saw It we absolutely knew. was the Avatar
2: It Was yeah, I thought it was, yep. yeah.
0: So it's not like he's not unfamiliar with dealing with um virtual environments, but yeah, like I think, you know, in in every respect uh you had a really good team on this and a good team has depth and hence delivers and these guys deliver I think it's it's brilliant I mean they're, digital domain I like digital domain I've always liked digital domain ever since I saw they had a wireframe skull and crossbones flying above the place back in the day and, and uh, <laughs> so I, I love it when they really deliver on a film I mean ever since Apollo 13 I've thought that's been a really good effects house and uh, certainly lately last few years you'd have to say they're just totally kicking it so
2: any last, last parting words, any shots that we haven't got to that, uh, that you wanted to mention? The one I wanted to mention was um, the contribution by New Deal Studios. Now, I don't actually know some specific shots that they worked on. But if you go to their Facebook page, they've got a great picture of someone sort of working on a model of a robot that they used um, as a miniature for one of those big robot statues out the front of the stadium. And I can only imagine New Deal also contributed some other things, uh, you know, miniature sort of work. And they always do that, a
0: great job. That Legacy must have made a bunch of the prop robots because there were times yes. like when they arrived at that underground uh, first meet, there were lots of robots kind of in mm. sort of workspaces and also just ones on the ground of the um, of the uh, gym, you know, when they've kind of been... Mm. Mm. Right, yeah. They're not articulated, but uh, I'm sure there was also articulated stuff from Legacy, but yeah, I thought it
1: was...
2: Yeah, no, I, definitely Legacy, I think, did some great puppeteering as well, because he, he, the boy does actually interact with Adam and hoses him off and things like that, you know, and I'm I'm pretty sure that was Legacy work, and it it played really well with the CG versions by DD2. Yeah,
0: and I think we mentioned Giant Studios, but they are the go-to place right now for the capture spaces, aren't they? Indeed, yeah um just anything you wanted to mention before we wound up
1: um i would i would i would quote a uh, family that i was behind as we were walking out of the out of the theater and the mother was like oh you know, i, I really like that did you guys like that and um somebody goes well you know i thought it was gonna be like transformers but you know it had a story and mom goes <laughs> oh yeah transformers there's no story this one actually had a story and I thought it 's not a slag on Transformers, but it's you know people want to people want to dig into the characters, and people obviously they did you know I think that's more I think that's the most testament to the to the visual effects and everything else that people were not I, nobody said anything about the robots and the and the the tech or anything. they were just like, "Wow, I really like the story, and that's the point
0: yeah. Punishing, though, that is, if you're doing such good tech as this. I mean, this is yeah. a well, well-made film. I'm torn as a VFX guy between a totally agreeing with you and pointing out that I would be slightly miffed if somebody walked out from the film and didn't comment on the robots.
1: Well, no, I mean, they were they were talking about robots, the robots, and but but it wasn't their first comment, because as okay. they were going down the escalator, they were like, oh, and, you know, obviously comparing robots between the two movies, but it wasn't their first Go to impetus was just to talk about robots.
0: I mean, this is I, a considerably nice. more manageable film than Transformers because Transformers was a bigger oh, budget, yeah. bigger everything.
1: Oh, absolutely! It's not. It's not. You know, it's like uh, comparing Star Wars and Rocky. You know, it's just not gonna not gonna work.
0: I think though that this film is well set up for a sequel, and if they could, if they could amp up some originality in the sequel. Um, I can't imagine them not making a sequel to this. Um, then
1: realer real steel,
0: realer steel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this time it's personal, um, and you know, obviously, in that one, Adam would be um, obviously had all gone to his head, and he'd uh,
1: yeah be. Can we can we point out that this is based on a short named Steel by Richard Math- Matheson, mm. who may be the most prolific sci fi writer in terms of produced works to TV or film living or dead.
2: I did read that he's got a million scripts and and treatments ready to go for his other work. Well, he's 87 or something.
1: I mean, you know, I Am Legend, uh, Incredible Shrinking Man, uh, Duel, that's Spielberg's first movie. uh, He wrote Duel? Really? uh Wow. And, I I mean, the guy, The Box, you know, they're every really good story is probably him or philip k dick in terms of you know (laughs) what's been what's been made yeah in terms of what's been made not what's out there but you know he richard matheson has consistently been the go-to guy uh he even wrote jaws 3 unfortunately
0: i i've got to say i think that um I think I totally agree with you though. I think that uh, I read somewhere that Sean Levy was driving around the time that like a year or two ago when uh, Terminator was about to come out and Transformers was out and all the posters just had pictures of robots and he was like, wow, we're just focused on this robot entertainment. Like all the actors aren't even getting a look in, like the director isn't getting a look in. It's just all, everyone's just clamoring to watch the robots and I think that was the seed. I'm sure I read this that for the director sort of made him think about this idea of robot entertainment and and I'm glad he went with you know robots fighting rather than kind of robot porn or something eh? much better way to look at it but um, you know it was this kind of obsession which is true you know like I mean uh, it moved quickly to a point where you know actors are quite some substantial sort of you know, in, the, in the last Transformers film, there's um, actresses in that film that I just think are superb in other films that hardly even get mentioned or even seen on the poster and stuff. Uh, so uh, I do think in, in... I just want to say, again, that I do think... And I know I'm beating this drum because I'm an Australian and he is, but I do think this film wouldn't have worked had Hugh Jackman not just been so likeable. and uh, And so I do think that he's... Done a good job in acting to these VFX that have given it something that we actually cared about. He, he and the um, what was the name of the actor that was the child actor?
1: Um, uh, uh, I think it was like Dakota Goyo or something yeah,
0: like that. Dakota. Yeah, he was also really really good. And I think between them, uh, they really brought the film to life. And so that story thing, as I said, I forgave them for that because I just genuinely liked seeing these guys on screen and and uh, and thought they were good. And I thought the the atom design the way the wire mesh was at the front kind of giving the illusion of a lot of facial stuff without actually getting there was really good character design uh work by the team that came up with the actual item because that was a, a tricky job to make him look like he wasn't he was an underdog but believably able to take punches yeah. uh, We well, also
1: had a slight the way that the wire mesh was on the front had a slight um vertical and horizontal axis line that sort of Gave the impression of a nose and a mouth. Yeah, it was, uh, it was like just a clever sketch. design. Just, yeah. yeah, really nicely done. And that
0: headpiece made him look like he was a sparring bot. And yeah, and he didn't have, but it also gave him a kind of a quieter, kind of sort of inner quiet look about him, as if he was thinking somehow, rather than being yeah. outwardly aggressive. And I think that was, you know, full marks to the uh, either the production design or the DD design team, whoever came up with actually the design of Adam. Um, well, that's and it. that
1: was a good. I was going to say that was a good little story point. Also, to say that he wasn't meant to fight, thus he was made stronger than you would normally make a a robot, which is a nice little story point.
0: Yeah, no, that was good. I think there was there must have been a subplot cut out as well because there was a couple of points made about um, Noisy Boy being really cheap and why did I get him so cheap? And he was cheap, and then that didn't go anywhere. And it really yeah. had a feeling like a DVD extra is going to reveal that uh, there was a malfunction or he only worked. Um, I don't know properly in Japanese or something, and I'm sure they took it out to make Hugh Jackman's character more un- unfriendly in his destroying of mm. him by uh, his uh, arrogance.
2: But don't you think they also did a good job of not over-explaining the robots and who makes them and where they're made, and you know, it just existed this robot boxing tournament.
0: Excellent sequel material. Going to <laughs> the uh, to the factory where the uh, where the guy sits oh. in the big chair and. Uh, have to be tested yes hey look i'm I'm trying to wind the show up because we're over time now (laughs) um so i'm going to say thank you i want to say uh thank you to todd our uh, vfx show producer who puts together um the uh, show notes and stuff and and helps organize the show and matt who uh, also works on the show and does the editing and stuff and those guys behind the scenes are awesome Uh, i want to flag you to our own twitter feed so if you've liked the show um, we have a vfx show twitter which uh, you can latch onto. and we kind of discuss films that we're going to do and certainly the retro ones tend to come from suggestions off Twitter and stuff um, and of course I'm there as Mike Seymour. Jason, what about you? Where would you like us to point people to when they want to uh, track you down?
1: Uh, the Twitters at Jason Diamond, one word, and my company website with my brother, uh, mbsproductions.com, like my big spoon. Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, I'm sure you have shoes in there somewhere, but anyway. Um yeah. and Ian? Uh well you can see me at FX Guide and also on the Twitters at VFX blog.
0: And coming up we have uh shows including The Thing and Anonymous and a whole bunch of really cool stuff. Um the next few months as we were discussing a pre production meeting yesterday is really getting busy here for us on the show. But as you know we're trying to come out every two weeks and uh that alternates with our other podcasts. If you've not heard those I suggest you check them out the fx podcast which um uh, last week had our 200th uh, fx podcast with the heads of the london houses uh, which was kind of a really we're really proud of that um mpc CineSight uh, DNEG, d and uh and framestore all discussing the future of the london facilities and then of course the rc our, our cinematography podcast and of course uh, we've also got the fx guide tv uh, podcast which um of course is the only one of its video and then just you know also, if we can point you to the actual real steel stuff. We also want to thank our sponsors for this week. Um, we got a lot of help in getting some background information from the guys at uh, Codex, and they've been sponsoring uh, the shows this week and, and helping us out and do stuff, and we really appreciate them. We've used Codex stuff for a while, and it's really well-made, professional bits of kit. So a big thank you to them. And thank you for you for being such a loyal listener. We really do appreciate it. Um, hopefully, we'll see you next week. Until then, I'm Mike Seymour. See you. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfxfxguide.com. Copyright
1: 2012, FX Guide LLC.